I would like to start by sharing with you one of the best days of my life. It was on August the 24th of 2003, which was exactly 11 years and 34 days ago. Some of you were there. That was the day when I made a covenant with my wife, Raina. It was in San Anselmo. It was not too far away from here. And when I saw her come down the aisle, something unexpected happened. You can never plan for this. But when I saw her coming down the aisle, God whispered something into my ear. And he said, are you sure you want to do this? No, he didn't say that. (laughs) I'm joking. He didn't say that. He didn't say that. He said to me, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. You guys know where that's from, right? It's, it's what Adam said the, f- the first thing when he saw Eve. And that's what God whispered into my mind the moment I saw my wife, my, my, my then soon going to be wife come down the aisle. And it was a very, very cool moment. I was just like, right on, Lord. And it was very, very cool. That was one of the biggest days of my life. I prepared so long for that day. In the days leading up to that event, I was a student in seminary. Raina was working full-time. So I, was, I did like more than 51% of the wedding planning. That was me. And we came up with this, I, I thought it was really cool and innovative back then. We came up with this idea to do these little origami party favors. Little origami party favors. And guess who had to fold them all? <laughs> Me, okay? And I spent days folding all those little folds into the little, you know, crevices and stuff like that. It took days and days. Now, there was a good number of people here that actually were at my wedding. And I'm just curious, did anyone keep the origami party favors? Anyone keep them? Did anyone frame them or laminate it or anything like that? Mom, did you? My, my mom, no one did that. Now, I worked on that for days, okay? And, and that is why I tell people who are about to be married... All the little details that you're so wrapped up and so care so much about on the day after the wedding, nobody remembers it. Where's Daniel? Daniel, did you get that? I think I've told Daniel that. Well, what, what did matter on that day that's still active today are the vows that I made to Rana. That was really the only thing that lasted. To cherish one another as God's greatest gift outside of my salvation to have and to hold for better or for worse. Now, weddings always have this amazing ability to make people cry, right? Because of the significance of what's happening. Do you know what also has the very same effect? Baptisms. Did you guys know that next week, Lucas Hatai is going to get baptized? And all of you are required to cry. I don't want to see any dry eyes here. And by the way, if anyone would like to get baptized, you guys can give me a call, send me an email. Let's talk about it. 
There's a, there's a big invitation that's there. But baptisms are very powerful, if not even more powerful than weddings, for the same reason. A person is making this incredible covenant with God. It's saying, God, because you created me, because you sent your son Jesus to die for me and to pay for my sins, I'm giving you all of my heart. For the rest of my life, you will be my God. There's not going to be anything more important than you for all of my life. Now, a life that really is faithful to that is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing. Just like a, a marriage covenant that's kept faithful. The, the loving and the... It's, it's, a, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And the converse of that is true, too. That there's nothing more tragic, more heartbreaking than a covenant that is violated and, and tossed aside. And unfortunately, today, that's where the text is going to take us. Today, we are tackling one of the most prominent themes in the Old Testament. Idolatry. And as we walk through the text, there is a flow of questions. And I'm going to let those questions kind of guide how I walk us through the text. What is idolatry? Are we guilty of it? Why is it such a bad thing? And how can we stop it? What's idolatry? Are we guilty of it? Why is it such a bad thing? And how can we stop it? Last week we talked about the Jewish Passover, how Jews use a meal to celebrate how God's judgment during that tenth and final plague, it passed, remember, passed over, passed over their homes, which were marked with the blood of a lamb on the doorposts. And then after the final plague, Pharaoh finally lets God's people go. And as you know from, you know, the, the story God, God parts the waters, and his people cross over the Red Sea on dry land. And they walk through the wilderness, and there's grumbling. You guys can read that at home. Until they reach this mountain called Sinai. And here's where they stop, and they make a covenant with the living God. This is a very big deal. This is kind of like their wedding day with God. It's chapter 19, by the way. There's even a moment when they're making this covenant where they actually say their I do's to God. Moses comes and all the elders assemble and they read together the covenant of God. And then all the people say together, all that the Lord, Yahweh, has spoken, we will do. All all the people say that. They say their I do's. It's a beautiful scene. Well, you know, it's tainted because you know what comes next, but that is a beautiful scene. The people of God have been slaves for 400 years. Now, 400 years is a really long time, just to give you a little bit of perspective. How long has the United States of America been in existence? Right, 231 years. Daniel, do you know what was, what, what was that? Okay. All right, it came and it's gone. We're still good. That's, that's, uh, let's keep on going. 231 years. Now, now, okay, maybe a shorter amount of time. The iPad. What was life like, like before the iPad? How many years has the iPad been in existence? Four years. 
Okay, so that gives you a little bit of context. 400 years is a really long time. Have you ever heard the expression, you can take the Chinaman out of China, but you can't take the China out of the Chinaman? You've never heard that expression. I made it up. There's no reason for you to have heard that. Moses soon finds that you can take the Israelites out of slavery, but it's much harder to take the slavery out of the Israelites. Verse 32. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses... I'm not hating on former President Clinton, but remember when he said, I did not have relations with that woman, right? And suddenly Mana became that woman. This Moses. They're in this place where they're scared. They're in the wilderness. They don't know where to go. Their leader is up on a mountaintop. They didn't have texting back then. It's not like he could have said, hey guys, just be patient, I'm all right. Laugh out loud. You know, you can't do that. I don't know what happened to him. And we're a little bit desperate here. And in the same way that sometimes people don't feel very secure in life, and so they have these safety nets and safety nets, and the biggest safety nets is just a stockpile of money. So they're looking to the money for security. You can understand how they, they would be feeling like this and how they might want to turn to an idol. The man who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what happened to him. So verse 2, Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that in, the, in, in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. So in the story, Aaron takes gold and he fashions it into a golden calf. Which kind of begs the question, what is an idol? Does it only entail like a golden calf that people bow down to? What is an idol? Well, I want you to keep in mind, what did Aaron do? He took gold from the people. Where did the gold come from? Do you guys know? Well, several chapters back, um, during the 10th plague, God instructed the people of Israel, after the 10th plague, to ask their Egyptian neighbors for gold. And so they did it. And the Egyptian neighbors gave them like parting gifts, their earrings of gold. So these were gifts ultimately from God. So, so stay with me here. Aaron takes these gifts and he makes it into a God. So idol making is taking gifts, good things, and fashioning them into a God, an ultimate thing. What, what, what is idol making? Taking good gifts and making them into something ultimate. So, Tim Keller defines um, an idol like this. Anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give. Now, can I just pause right here 
and ask all of you, honest question, is there anything in your life that is more important to you than God? Just, can you just answer that question honestly? Is there anything in your life that is more important to you than God? I, I've told you this story. Uh, one time I was walking around my house. There's a lagoon near my house. It was a, a beautiful time. I was really having a great time just with God. I was just worshiping him, and I was really thankful for everything that he's given me and who he is. And in this moment, I said, God, is there anything I can do to love you more? Like, is there anything that's keeping me from loving you more? And I don't know if you remember this story, but on that moment, a word came in my mind. You guys remember what that word was? It, it was Netflix. That's right. <laughs> it was Netflix. And the, the, the honest truth is like when I have free time, I don't have much free time, but maybe two hours a night. When I have free time, my go-to activity is I just, I just watch a movie. I become a vegetable for an hour and a half. I'm, I'm not reading my Bible or thinking like holy thoughts. I'm just vegging out with Netflix. And this is like a regular occurrence. And I'm like, is that really keeping me from loving you? Well, if I can exchange Netflix to love you more, it's a done deal. And so I went on a year-long fast. And the fast actually it was over last month, so I don't want you guys thinking that it's still on. But during the, and during that fast, there were certain exceptions, but it was a fast. I'm just being honest. It was a fast. It was a good fast. You know, it's a dangerous prayer. Just saying, God, is there anything in my life that I love more than you? Is there anything keeping me from loving you more? And then what you do, you ask that prayer and you just, you zip your lip and you listen. And I bet you, if you ask that prayer in your quiet time, God will speak something to you. You want to know another way to see if you have any golden calves in your life? Here's another way. Let's do it together. Can you like take out your calendar? You guys, uh, did you guys bring a calendar? Uh, you guys are taking out your smartphone, right? Right. I'm, I'm old school. I'm older than you guys. Um, take out your calendar. And what I want you to do is I want you to look just at the last two weeks. Look at the things that you did, planned or not planned, spontaneous. The, the events you said, okay, I'm going to go to this thing. I'm not going to go to this thing. And I want you just to examine your heart. When you made the decision to do this or to do that, to not do this, did you do it with godly priorities? Did you choose to do the things that you felt were the most God-honoring? And if you didn't, can it be that on your calendar, there's these little golden calves that are running around, walking around. Oh, look at that, you know. Is maybe one of them called achievement and success. Could maybe an another one of them just be entertainment and leisure? Or when you look at your calendar and you're, you're, you're picking what you invest in, can you say without a shadow of doubt, you know, God, you come first. Like when my kids look at this calendar, they know God comes first for dad. Is, is that you right now? Do we have some golden calves that we need to grind up today? I'm going to ask Yan to come up here. Um, 
Yan is a former um, uh, board member, home group coach, current home group leader. He's a man that we dearly love and respect. And I asked him if he would share um, about a golden calf that he is in the process of grinding up. And so can we give a, a hand to Yan just for his courage and being able to be real? Uh, well, thank you. Um, I want to first thank very much Pastor Andrew for uh, inviting me to come up and share my sin with everybody. <laughs> thank, thank you very much, Pastor Andrew. Thank, thank you. <laughs> um, well, let me tell you a story. Uh, our family goes to Hong Kong every summer, uh, you know, for vacation, but also for language immersion for our, for our kids. And we have quite a, quite a few friends in Hong Kong, and, uh, and we see them pretty much every year. Uh, for some reason, two years ago when we went, uh, you know, we connected with all these friends, and uh, it occurred to me that they were all rich. And, uh, and not just a little bit rich, but really, really rich. In fact, many of them were my age or younger, and they were retired. They were essentially retired. They spend their time with their families, and uh, they spent their time managing their assets and such. Um, and then the friends who weren't retired, really, really rich anyway. And they were just working and really, really rich. And um, now, you know, we go every year. I see these friends every year, and it never really bothered me. But th- two years ago, it really stuck with me. I mean, it, it kind of entered me and just sat there. And we came back from Hong Kong, and it was still there. Um, and I, I kind of sat and, and, and stewed on it, really. Um, and I, would, I realized, you know, uh, I was jealous of them. Not just jealous, I was envious of them. Not just envious, I was covetous of them. I wanted what they had. And, um, and I resented that they had it to boot. It's like, why don't I have this? Aren't I smart enough? Aren't I hardworking enough? I really started to feel sorry for myself. <laughs> um, it's very embarrassing to say, I'm, I'm, but I was really just in this place where it was, was not very good. Um, now, it's natural to want a better life for you and for, for your kids. Uh, at what point does that become an idol? Um, when does the desire for something become a sin? Uh, and what do I do when it has become that for me? Um, you know, sin is a kind of a remarkable thing. It, it tends to grow in the dark, and it tends to melt in the light. Um, if self-justification and denial are friends of sin, then confession and prayer are enemies of sin. So after a few days of, of stewing, um, I couldn't take it anymore. And so I confessed to my wife that I was having these feelings. And um, I, I told her that it was making me feel really terrible inside. And worse yet, it was kind of destroying all my motivation to work and, and help others. Um, we prayed together that week. And uh, she felt like I should also seek uh, the counsel of and, and prayer of others. So I, I was like, oh, 
really? <laughs> I have to tell other people this? Um, you know, it's, it's really hard. It's embarrassing, honestly. It's just embarrassing. I, I hate looking greedy and petty. I, I don't like looking like... I just felt like people would lose any respect that they had for me, and I didn't want that. So I kind of sat on it for a little bit, and then, and then I finally did, um, I did approach my, I told my home group this, and, um, and thank you very much. They, they prayed for me about this. Uh, I told Pastor Andrew this, and he encouraged me to, to, to go to the, the prayer team. I said, what? what? <laughs> and I was like, okay. So I went to the prayer team and sought their prayer and supplication as well, and, um, and, th- and thanks to them. Um, you know, one friend of mine actually said, you know, I think this is a spiritual attack on you. Um, and, you know, it, it did occur to me that, well, I, I was sitting on the board at the time, I was leading a home group, but, but, and it might have been a spiritual attack, but I will say, uh, I say that only because that is certainly a potential reality, but I will c- confess that I'm perfectly capable of sinning on my own. All by myself. Um, so I, I, I knew I had to do something, something concrete as well as pr- pray through this. Um, and since my struggle was with envy and covetousness and materialism, um, I thought the best way to counter that was to, to do the opposite, g- give stuff away. And, um, and so you know, we, we made it a point to kind of increase our giving, um, to increase to be more generous with our time as well. Um, that sounds easy to say now, but I will tell you, in that season, it was really, really hard. I wanted to keep my money. Um, I didn't want to give away anymore. I wanted to keep my time. I didn't want to give away anymore. Um, but praise God, over the next few weeks, um, the feelings started to diminish, and um, eventually it, it actually went, went away. Uh, I did begin to feel content again with my calling, and all seemed right with the world. Um, I wish I could say that that was the end of it, and I was never tempted by material things ever again. Uh, But I know that I have that thorn in my side, much like the Apostle Paul said he had a thorn in his side. That's my thorn in my side. Um, Those of you who follow this TV series, Dexter, can, can say, that, that's my dark passenger. That's my dark passenger. Um, money and materialism will always pose a temptation for me. I know this. I'm not healed once and then protected for everything in the future. Um, but I, I learned something. I learned to recognize the siren call of the golden calf. I, I learned how to melt it down and give it away. Uh, I learned to seek counsel and prayer when, in, when the call comes again. Um, you know, when you are in the world where there's no sure way to completely avoid the lure of building a golden calf, um, there is only the recognition of it uh, in time to give away all the gold. Thanks. Yeah, and I really appreciate you kind of taking off the, the thick leaves. No, that was, uh, that was amazing. Uh, I think it's amazing because we just respect you. And uh, you are a leader that's worthy of emulating. We, we, I really appreciate that. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down for your people 
whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Anyone here uh, ever walk a dog, not very responsive to your guidance? You're, you're pulling it this way, it's pulling back. You would say, this dog has a, a stiff neck. The stiff-necked people. Verse 10, now listen to this. Now therefore let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. Now, I think when we think of idolatry as uh, you make a golden calf and then you bow down to it, and then it's really easy to go, yeah, I don't do that. But then when we take the definition and unpack it, it's anything that you love more than God, then you kind of look around and you go like, I think we're all guilty of that. So how do we manage that? And I think one way that people manage is they go idolatry light. I call it idolatry light. I'm wondering if, even if in our culture, we're kind of idolatry light. Like, yeah, we shouldn't do that, but everyone does it, wink, wink, wink. It's okay. We're idolatry light. There's something about verse 10 that doesn't give us any ground to be idolatry light. I mean, let me read this again to you. Let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them. I mean, idolatry is a really big deal. It's a really grave offense. It is totally offensive to God. Now, if there's one thing you can pull away from this passage, it's like idolatry is a really, really big deal, guys. This is scary stuff. I mean... People should face the death penalty for idolatry. Now, we are people who want to know why, not just what not to do. We want to know why. So my question here is, uh, well, why is idolatry such a bad thing? Why is it so offensive to God? Why is it such a bad thing? Especially people who are like idolatry light. Like Americans can be idolatry light. So let me ask you guys that question. Why is idolatry such a bad thing? Uh, can you turn to a neighbor and share your, your, your best articulation for why idolatry is such a bad thing? Why did this make so, God so mad? Go ahead, turn to a neighbor and share your, uh, your best answer. Okay, this time I'd like to hear from you guys. If you look in your outline, I, I put in four blanks. Because I think there's actually probably more than one reason. So uh, let's, let's hear it. Anyone feeling like they want to share? Why is idolatry such a bad thing? Especially when Americans are so idolatry light. Okay. It takes our focus away from him. Okay. Let me add on to a little bit what you're saying. It takes the focus... Focus being the focus of cherishing, the, the focus of concern, the focus of glory, away from him, and it's, it's towards something else. So can I say, it de-gods God. That's D.A. Carson's line. I, I, I think it, I like it. It de-gods God. 
You're, you're dethroning God from his rightful place, if you will. And that is totally offensive. Uh, someone else? Doug? Okay, let me add on to that one too. What is the first commandment? As people are making a covenant with God, what is commandment number one? Thou shall have no other gods before me. Now, why is that number one? Because once you start having another god, then everything else in life just breaks down. It leads towards all these other sins because this is the main sin. When relationship with God gets broken down, all the other relationships get broken down. And that's why it's, it's commandment number one. Thou shalt have no more gods before me. Anyone else want to share? Okay. It's, it's, it's rejected love. It's spurred love. Now, let me add on to that one, too. Um, okay, this is not a question that you would ask, like, at, at a home group. It wouldn't be like a, a party icebreaker. But what I want you to do, for those of you who are married, I want you to imagine how you would feel if your spouse cheated on you. Okay, I don't ask you to do this very often, right? How would you feel if your spouse cheated on you? Okay, this, is, this would be totally inappropriate to go, ah, you broke a law. What you did wasn't very nice. No, how would you feel? You'd be throwing stuff off of the table. You'd say, I'm pissed. How dare you take what was sacred between us and whore it to someone else, Right? Well, right now we see a response or emotion from God that's equal to that. Why? Because we have done the same thing with God. There's this sacred bond of you will be my God and I will worship you with all my heart. You'll be the most important thing in my life. I'll cherish you. And then we've given that love to something, ugh, something so much lesser. And it's completely offensive to God. How can we be idolatry light when we've broken and ripped his heart in two? And that's what's going on here. Guys, we cannot be idolatry light. So, so if we have this golden calf in our lives, what, do, what are we supposed to do? Okay. Well, I, I think that the scripture uh, will say there's three things for us to do. Number one, find forgiveness. Number two, repentance. And then number three, true worship. Now, forgiveness, we're going to talk about that at the end of the chapter. Repentance, that's where we're going to next. And then, um, uh, and then uh, true worship is what we're going to talk about next week because that's the next chapter. But let me try to uh, walk us through um, some more of the scripture. Uh, now in verse 11. Actually, what I'm, just gonna, I'm just going to tell you what happens. Uh, from verses 11 to 13, Moses offers an amazing, selfless, heroic prayer. And God answers his prayer request in verse 14. And the Lord re relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. And I just want to make one observation and then we're going to move on. One observation from this prayer. When I first read this prayer, it kind of bugged me. It kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Because it seems like Moses' chief concern was the reputation of God. Like his main reason, uh, prayer, for why God shouldn't do this is what will the Egyptians think? That kind of bothered me. 
Like, what about the millions of lives? You know? But now I I read it with new light, and I, I realize that Moses had it right. His primary concern was the reputation of God. It doesn't mean that he loves people less. It just means that his chief aim in life was that God be glorified. This is not weird, actually. This is quite beautiful. This is what it looks like to have a heart that's on fire for God. And then in verse uh, 15... Okay, now I was telling you that if we have a golden calf in life, there's a threefold response. There's a way that we can actually deal with this. One, forgiveness, repentance, and then true worship. We're going to talk about the repentance. What you're going to see in this next passage is how to dismantle a golden calf. Okay? Now, you just imagine Moses saying, well, if you've got these idols in life... This is what I did. Okay, now, and then we read verse 15. Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand. Tablets that were written on both sides. On the front and on the back they were written. The tablets were the work of God. And the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, There is the noise of war in the camp. But he said... It is not the sound of shouting for victory or the sound of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. And as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot. And he threw the tablets out of his hand and broke them at the foot of the temple. Some people think that Moses just flew off the handle and broke them. And oh man, they, they broke. But actually, I think Moses was thinking about this. I'm going to go down, they're, they're going to see me, and then I'm going to see them, and then I'm going to throw them down and break it, because what they're doing was actually breaking the covenant. So I'm going to like visually demonstrate what they actually did, but that's my theory. Verse 20, he took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire, and ground it to powder, and scattered it on the water, and made the people of Israel drink it. Now, can I ask you by a, a show of hands, how many of you, when you were younger, you had your mom or your dad wash your mouth out with soap because you'd said something naughty? Gloria's hand just shot up. Anyone else here? Jason, you too? Okay, I can do one worse. Okay, I'm not going to tell you which parent it was, but one of my parents was so upset by what I said that I was required to drink toilet water. Okay, it wasn't from the bowl, it was from the tank. Does that make it better? Okay, which parent it was is a mystery. But then, I, but I did it, and I never, I never said that word again. You know, I, it worked, it worked. Now, now, I have another theory. Why does, Mo, it's kind of cruel. He grinds, he, what, do you, what do you do to a golden cow's Well, you grind it. And then you grind it to powder, and then you toss it in the water, and you say, drink it. Okay, that sounds kind of mean. I have another theory as to why, okay? This is just my own stuff. I didn't get this from a commentary. I think that, he, that Moses was saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something so they will never gather all the gold up again and rebuild the idol and worship it. So I'm going to force them to drink it. And what do you happens when you drink gold? It comes out as feces. And you're probably not going to look through your feces gather all the, uh, the, the, the gold that's been saturated in feces and, and rebuild the idol and bow down. You're probably not going to do that, right? Or wear it in your ear. You're probably going to do that. 
So I, my theory is that Moses, this is a way where you can never have the golden calf problem again, okay? That was just my own interpretation. That wasn't for free. Okay, 21. Moses said to Aaron, now what is he doing now? He's keeping people accountable, okay? What did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? Now I want you to listen to Aaron's response. This is like classic comedy. It's really funny. It's good. I'm not making light of the scripture. It's just, it just funny. We're funny because we do the same thing. Now, let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people, and they are set on evil. They said to me, make us gods who shall go before us. And for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. So I said to them, let anyone who has gold take it off. So they gave it to me, and I threw it into the fire. And out came this calf. Wow. You remember it was two weeks ago we talked about, you know, blaming, blame shifting. Uh, wow. Okay. Wow. Verse 25. But, oh, okay. Verse 25. And when Moses saw that the people have broken loose, for Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of their enemies, then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord your God of Israel, Put on your sword on your side, each one of you, and go to and from the gate throughout the camp, and each one of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. Okay, I know there's some ethical concern, like how could Moses do that? Um, Don't get distracted by that. There's a big message that you're supposed to get out of this. Let's keep on going. And so Moses said to them, And today you have ordained for the service of the Lord, each one of you, the cost of his son and his brother, so that he might bestow a blessing upon you this day. Okay, this is the big idea. How do we deal with the golden cows in our lives? Well, what did, what did Moses do? He's like, I grinded it to powder. I forced the people to drink it. I confronted Aaron. And finally, I had the rabble-rousers killed. Um, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but uh, in the past several months, I've dropped 10 pounds. Yeah. No, you don't have to do that. I, I was pausing, just, but, but you don't have to do that. Um, it's not a bad thing to do, but, but yeah, I, I lost 10 pounds. Do you know what I did when I dropped 10 pounds? My clothes didn't fit anymore. So what I did is I bought new, not all new clothes, I bought new clothes and I gave the old clothes away. Now people go, well, what are you going to do when you gain all the weight back? If I gain all the weight back, I'm going to go around naked. Now, you don't want that, and neither do I. So basically, I made no provision to gain all the weight back. I took this boating trip across the other side of the sea, and I burned the boat. This is what I think Moses is doing here. I'm grinding that to powder. Then you're going to eat it, and then it's going to be tossed out in the feces. I'm making provisions for no provision for a golden calf in my life. Wouldn't that be cool if you picked up your calendar and I'm like, I'm going to make no provision for idols or golden calves in my calendar, in my priorities. Wouldn't that be awesome? If you take your calendar and you go, you know something? God's priorities come first. Now, I know there's all these crazy things and it's squeezing time and then I give the scraps to God. That's not going to happen. God's going to have the best of my time. No golden idols. I'm going to get radical about putting God first. That's what this is teaching us. Be radical like Moses. 
Kill the rabble-rousers. Kill the rabble-rousers in your life. You own your own schedule. You make your own decisions. Now, now, some of you are saying, you know, I bet you secretly Andrew is trying to advocate for more church events because he's bitter that, you, that he throws one in and you don't come. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying when you say this event, not this event, you dialogue with God about it. Lord, you have my heart. You're number one. If I go to this event, it's for you. If I take my kid to this soccer event, it's for you. If I go to this party with my relative, it's for you. And you have free authority to say, not this thing and this thing. One of the things for me is in my free time, I don't know what to do. And sometimes I'd be like, okay, God, you are Lord of my free time. Should I watch Netflix, you know? You know, I'm talking to God about it. It's this life that says, no, no provision for idols. Okay, I want to talk, uh, um, I know it pertains to more people here, but there are uh, single people in our church. Uh, You know, most of them kind of sit over there. I'm going to adjust my pulpit, you know, and it's for other people too. But but let me just talk about this, okay? When I was growing up, I'm just being really honest with you, the number one thing I wanted, even more than God, I wanted a girlfriend. Now, I know that's not your problem, but that was mine. It was definitely mine. I wanted a girlfriend. And so um, I can tell you that story later. Uh, When I was in my 20s, a crazy thing. Do you know what God did? He gave me the woman of my dreams. Whoa. Wow, right? And for six months, it was amazing. But then I got really confused because Raina was, go- was making an amazing soulmate, but an awful God. She was the, the greatest gift I have from God outside of my salvation, but she wasn't the ultimate gift. And so I went through all this stuff, but I think at the root of it, it was this idolatry problem that I have. Now, let me go even deeper. I have met certain Christians, and they would be dating non-Christians. And they would say things like, you know, this... This, this, we'll just say it's the woman that's the Christian. And they say, you know, I met this guy and he's just like the perfect guy for me. We like the same things. Like he likes Korean drama and I do too. You know, it's like, but there's just one thing that's missing. He doesn't have, he doesn't believe in God. He's not a Christian, but you know, he's open. Everything else is fine. Now, let me tell you why that doesn't work. It doesn't work because when you look at your life, according to that thinking, God is just one compartment. You got school, you got parents, you got, you know, uh, friends and sports, and then God. And, you know, he doesn't have the, he doesn't have the God, but he got everything else. No, God is not just one compartment. God is the very center of your life. And when God's the very center of your life, it flavors everything. You might feel like we have so much in common, but if you don't have the center in common, you kind of have nothing in common. Now, this is my advice to you. For those of you who are not dating right now, just make a pledge before God that you will not date a non-Christian. It's so much easier to make that agreement on the front end 
than to make it during or in the back end when your heart's all, you know, in it and mixed up. It's much easier to do it before. Okay, now back to everyone else. Uh, Let's talk about addictions. Maybe for some of you, it's like, you know, I'm good with God, but there's this one thing, and it's it's addiction. And, uh, you know, I keep on coming to this, this addiction, and I feel enslaved by this addiction. Maybe you can do what Yan did. Have you told a friend? Have you told a buddy? Have you told a fellow Christian and said, look, I'm just, I'm struggling with this. I need your help. I need your support. I need your prayer. Can you pray with me? Can you check in with me, like, when you see me and just ask me how I'm doing in this? For those of you who have the addiction and it's kind of related to what you watch on the internet, how about getting some of that software? I think it's called Norton Family, or with Apple, it's called Net Nanny. And what you can do, actually, you can set up these controls. So if you break protocol, it emails your buddy. And your buddy can call you and be like, hey, what are you doing right now, you know? Right there. And you set up your password. You get to set up what your password is. Maybe your password should be something like, God is watching me right now. You know, or, or do verse 10, you know. Do verse 10. I mean, that, that, has, some, that has some effect. Get radical. You know, give those clothes away. Burn that, that, that boat. Grind that golden calf to, to, to a powder and then, and then, and then uh, throw it out. Uh, some of us have, an, uh, you know, our, our idol might be media. And maybe there's a Facebook fast that you might go through because maybe Facebook is making you envious. Or maybe there's a Netflix fast, or maybe you should just close your account, or maybe you should make this pledge to never watch R-rated movies. Something that I do because uh, visual uh, sex on video, it destroys my soul. So every time I see it coming, I I know it's like, it's very childlike, but I I cover my eyes and turn away, and I go, Raina, is it over? Raina doesn't stop with that. I do. And you know, it's kind of childlike, but I want to get radical about cutting off those idols. Okay, so we've talked about repentance. We've talked about having a demolition party, if you will. I just want to make one more point and then we're done. Uh, You know, honestly, the best way to deal with a counterfeit idol is to replace it with the true God. We're going to talk about true worship next week. But there's also this big issue of forgiveness. Now, I'm going to go through this really quickly because we've, we've been going for a while. Do you know that from verses 30 to 35, Moses goes up to the mountain and he asks God to forgive the people. Now, you guys are like, right. And God said, yeah, I forgive them. Do you know what happens? No, listen to this. Bo- Moses says, if you will forgive their sin. He says, please forgive their sin. If, but if you will forgive their sin, but if not... Please blot me out of your book that you have written. So you're saying, please forgive them. If not, then take my life. This is crazy. Do you know how God responds? God says no. Now listen to this. He goes, whoever sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. This is scary stuff. Moses is like, God, please forgive their sin. But if not, blot me out of your book. Take my life. And and God says no. He doesn't offer, he doesn't take Moses' offer. He says, I'll blot out of my book whoever has sinned against me. That's a problem because all of us are guilty. 
Moses says, take my life. God says, your life won't do. I will have to take my very own life. Many years later, God's son would come down and offer his life, and his life was taken so that God could forgive sin once and for all. Moses' life wasn't going to do it. It had to be Jesus' life. And now we have that forgiveness of God. And it's worth being crazy about. And that forgiveness leads us to true worship, and it also leads us to have this demolition party to take that cap and grind it down. So let's do that. You all stand and we'll pray. I'd like to lead us in a prayer. I think it's a pretty scary prayer. But would you just incline your heart to God and ask him this question? Lord, is there anything in my life that's keeping me from loving you more? I want you guys just to ask that. If, if I, I want to invite you guys to ask God that question and then just stay silent. And who knows, he might just whisper a word into your ear. And we're just going to do that. You can just join me in asking God that question. Or you're like, you know, I'm not ready to trade that thing for more of God, so I'm not even going to ask that question. That's, that's your choice. But if you have an open heart right now, why don't you just ask that question with me? And then just listen to God. Just say, God, is there anything in my life that's keeping me from loving you more? Is there a gold calf that you want me to grind down and then just listen if god is not saying something to you right now then i just invite you in the next several days maybe it's going to be a dialogue maybe it's going to take a little bit of time just to be asking God that question. Is there anything in my life that I can trade so I can have more of you? And let's just see how God speaks. Lord, I thank you that you give us this incredible offer to trade in something lesser for something greater. Our eyes are upon you now, your forgiveness and your great glory. Help us now as we focus on you to worship you with our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.